This is COVID-19 Seattle. I'm Dave Ross. And I'm Aaron Granilla. We finally have some good news on this podcast. Pfizer and BioNTech released early results from phase three of their coronavirus vaccine trial this week. And that data suggests the Pfizer vaccine could be 90 percent effective. And here's what we know. 44,000 people participated in the trial. Half of those people took a placebo. The other half got the vaccine. 94 people total got sick. They won't or really they can't tell anyone who in that group of 94 people had the placebo and who had the real vaccine. The information is hidden from everyone, even company researchers. So only an independent board can review it, but they can do some calculations and give us that very exciting high rate of 90%. Yes, this is significantly better than the flu vaccine, which I talked to Dr. Hazeltine about last week. Flu vaccines tend to be about 30 to 60% effective. The FDA said that they would issue emergency approval if the vaccine was even 50% effective. So this 90% rate is closer to what the measles vaccine is like, for example. It's 97% effective. But it's also important to layer this excitement with some standard caution. So the trial is not over yet. They're still testing and monitoring participants. And that 90% effective rate might not hold. We also don't know how long immunization will last. It's too early to tell that. And there are some critically important safety checks that have to happen first. But if every one of those things goes right, this vaccine could be distributed to some of the highest risk people like healthcare workers before January 1st. That's very exciting. And if you have a sense of adventure and you want to get involved, there are three big vaccine trials looking for volunteers in Seattle right now. Dr. Julie McElrath joined us to talk about that. She is the principal investigator for Seattle's local trial of the AstraZeneca vaccine, which is based at Fred Hutch. Why do we need to even try other vaccines if the Pfizer one looks so promising? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, You know, uh, we're trying to develop a vaccine for people in the United States, but but more importantly, we're also trying to develop a vaccine for the entire world um, because uh, no one is really exempt from this virus. And so if you think about the numbers of um, doses that we would have to have in order to be able to protect all of these people, um, we need billions of doses. And so what we really need are multiple uh, strategies um, for uh, a COVID-19 vaccine um, and uh, multiple producers in order to be able to provide enough doses. So how do you know which vaccine to take? Because it sounds like they they work in very different ways. Could you conceivably take both vaccines or however many there turn out to be? No, I don't think it would be wise to take more than one type of vaccine, at least from what we know now. It's best you know, each vaccine regimen being developed you know, is, is its own thing. It's um, really designed to be taken as it is uh, itself, as a regimen. And in terms of the volunteers you're looking for, it sounds like, I mean, you're trying to, you're, this is going to be a test with a, a blind test with a placebo, I assume. So you're going to want to have people who are in an environment where there is, in fact, a chance of them catching it. So, so for example, I've been basically isolated at home since, what is it now, March. Uh, I wouldn't be a very good test subject because I never go out. <laughs> you're doing the right thing. Um, uh, yeah, well, that's, but you you probably would not be eligible um, based on that criteria unless you had some reason where you think you would be really at risk uh, for being exposed. Yeah. So, yes, they are looking for more volunteers. They need 500 people for the AstraZeneca trial, about 200 for a trial with Johnson & Johnson through Kaiser Permanente. 
and 1,000 people with the company Novavax, which is being tested at Harborview. And if you would like to participate in one of the vaccine trials, you can learn about all of them and sign up easily at coronaviruspreventionnetwork.org. Here's the catch on the vaccine news. We are already in the midst of a third surge of virus cases nationwide, and no vaccine will be ready in time to slow it down. Hospitals around our state are preparing for a potential flood of new COVID patients. Let's talk with Dr. Stephen Anderson. He's a 35-year veteran ER physician at Auburn Regional Medical Center, also the past chair of the board of the American College of Emergency Physicians. Thanks for uh, talking to us today. And we've heard these warnings about overflowing hospitals at the start of the pandemic. It never happened here, even though we we built the emergency tents and everything. Is this wave going to be any different? Well, we got close in the spring, but the next wave is definitely here. And it's larger than the first wave. What we saw in New York City, uh, we're now seeing in Iowa and in Utah, hospitals statewide there have run out of beds. We definitely haven't flattened the curve. Um, Hospitals in South King County, where I work, um, are already functioning nearly 100% capacity on a daily basis already because we're sort of entering that perfect storm time period right now. And and you're saying that's already happening right now, so we don't have enough resources right now? Well, classically, as we enter November through February, cold weather drives us indoors, flu season's upon us. Um, There's a lot of different reasons. Hospitals frequently run in Puget Sound area, close to capacity around this time. But when you add on a disease that's as serious as COVID, um, it just puts us even more stressed. We can talk a little bit more about what the resources are. Right at the moment, my resources as far as um, those supplies that we need, medications, personal protective equipment, um, and those are are adequate at the moment. But, you know, the stress that we're about to see is, is definitely going to go up. Death rates really haven't risen a lot recently um, in comparison to the number of cases we're seeing, but that's partly because we're just testing a whole lot more. People are still dying from this. In fact, if you're admitted to an ICU, you have a 30% mortality. This is really serious. Now, why is it so bad in Auburn where, where you're based? It seems to be one of the worst spots in King County. Well, the statistics that came out just this morning say that South King County is one of the highest areas. Uh, Auburn actually ranked one this particular week. And it's because of disparities. And don't take my opening sentence the wrong way, but this disease is racist. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Um, It's not genetic, um, but there's a horrifying disparity between racial demographics, mostly due to longstanding variations in policies and economics People of color uh, frequently live in closer proximity. They have jobs in the service industry that won't let them work from home. They have decreased access to health care for all those um, risk factors like COPD, obesity, hypertension, diabetes. And when you roll that all uh, together, um, that's sort of Auburn. That's federal way. Um, There's, for instance, a tenfold difference in the incidence of COVID in Pacific Islanders over Caucasians, sixfold in Hispanic, fourfold in Blacks. So given the fact that that population is higher incidence in South King County, 
It's why we're seeing a lot of disparities down in my neck of the woods. And so masks, you're saying the conditions there are such that even masking up is not effective. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm going to use the word masks a lot okay? because it's a really simple solution that we can all do that will have a bigger impact than anything else that we do. I really, really want to see every single person in public that I pass wearing a mask. That's that's paramount. Let me ask you something else. Would it be better if we had an overflow supply of the actual surgical style masks instead of just cloth masks? Because those masks are also effective as defensive protection, right? Those are. And in fact, in the emergency department, if we're in what we consider to be high risk procedures, we wear those sort of things. Yeah. But those are really in high risk procedures, things where you know you're going to get coughed on or you're going to get um, sneezed on. Those are really the incidences where high risk N95s are needed to the vast majority of the public. They just have to wear a simple protective mask, uh, an investment of ten dollars could save us lives and the economics of it clearly makes sense to help our economy and the cost of health care. We also heard President-elect Joe Biden talk a lot about masks this week, saying it could save countless lives. I want to get your thoughts on the incoming administration. He unveiled his incoming you know, coronavirus task force. Could a new administration really help stem the tide here? Well, I absolutely think um, there's a lot of reasons why we have to be hopeful right at the moment. One of the big ones is that science and not politics, I hope, will drive the messaging and drive the policies moving forward. Um, We should base what we're going to do on science. The new task force that got named yesterday is made up of physicians and scientists um, with lots of worldly experience. And I'm very biased personally because Dr. Robert Rodriguez got named onto that task force, and he's an emergency medicine physician out of San Francisco. So he really feels my pain in the emergency departments. You know, Dr. Aronson, when we first spoke uh, about COVID in March and April, I remember you called it the most anxiety-provoking situation in your 35-year career. Is that still true today? Could I tell you that in some ways, this particular week, it may even be higher than when we spoke earlier. In the back of my mind, I'm still worried about personal protective equipment. In the back of my mind, I'm always worried about beds. Every day I admit people that have COVID, people that are resulting in disabilities and deaths. And, you know, this particular week, it struck home because one of my dear friends who ran the emergency department in Lubbock, Texas, lost his life this last week to COVID. Um, So healthcare workers are still dying from this disease. And along with that, it's hard to explain to others what the stress is like when every day you go to work and you'll, what I call, swim in the COVID swamp. Um, One of my other dear colleagues, Lorna Breen, who was a physician in the uh, peak of the epidemic in New York City, Uh, contracted the disease, was recovering from it, but the stress and the anxiety that went along with that, she took her own life and had never previously had a diagnosis of anxiety or depression. So it's clearly affecting all our healthcare workers. Um, I think I said last time I talked to you, if you know someone that works in healthcare, a frontline provider, tell them thank you. Wow. Dr. Anderson, are you surprised that we're still 
hear that we actually are experiencing a third wave? Were you more hopeful throughout the summer months that the messaging from the doctors would get through, that we could get this virus under control? How frustrating is it right now that we are experiencing this? There's no question that Washington State actually, I think, led the nation in uh, early recognition of this. And as fast as we could in the spring and early summer, we did flatten the curve. Um, I think one of the real problems is apathy and emotional exhaustion. Um, We got to a point where we just had to get out, we felt like, and we had to see our our friends and our family. And that's one of the things that I want to speak to right now, because we right now are absolutely entering the perfect storm. There's a record number of cases out there right now. That means a record number of people that could give you this disease. And welcome Thanksgiving, a holiday that's built around hugging and making connections with your family that you haven't seen for a while. Um, You know, we can talk about hope because there's lots of reasons to be hopeful and thankful, but this is not the time to get careless or lax. I do want to talk about something called stranger bias, because that's the idea that I I won't get this from my family. I won't get it from my inner circle. I'm going to get it from a stranger. That's just not true. Most people are asymptomatic with this, especially young folks, and that they bring it home and give it to mom and they give it to grandma. And those are the people that get hospitalized and have bad outcomes. So, you know, yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed, but I got to tell you, we are entering that period of time, Thanksgiving and Christmas, where we're in close proximity, we're indoors. You truly have to be limiting your interactions at home to those people in your households. If you're going to get together, and some people will, try to do it outdoors if it's not pouring rain. Try to stay six feet apart. Keep your masks on when you're not eating. Wash your hands. I know this sounds repetitious. It's the same things we've been promoting for 10 months. But seriously, in the next three months, it's when it is the most critical for us to try and focus because 2021 could be much better, but it's up to us. Okay, so after hearing from Dr. Anderson, are you changing your Thanksgiving plans, Dave? We uh, we canceled them. I mean, uh, between that and some of the reports I've been reading every morning on Seattle's Morning News, uh, it just didn't seem to make sense. So we had a I had a discussion with my daughter in West Virginia, and we decided that she was worried about whether uh, I was worried about being infected by them. I said, well, no, we're the ones traveling. We're going through the airports and the airplane. And if there was uh, anyone becoming a vector for the virus, it's us bringing it to you. I said, well, okay, we'll just, we'll just, you know, stay outside the whole time. But it's cold in West Virginia this time of year. Nobody wants to sit around in their winter coats eating outside with masks on. So... Uh, we decided we'll move it to the spring. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Right? I, I don't blame you. I have not broken the news yet to my family, but yeah, it, it's just not going to happen this year for me either. I, my grandma was hoping that I would come over for the holidays and no, I mean, she's in her eighties at this rate. Think about it. I mean, in the last two weeks, what have we seen our numbers do? They've exponentially grown a month ago. We were talking about 60, 70 cases per 100,000 residents. Now we're up to 150, 160 in certain counties. What's it going to be in two weeks from now? 
if you're listening and you still plan on having a family gathering, again, like this isn't to say that we're better than you or you're an awful person for trying to, you know, get the family together. We get it. It's the holidays. But if you do, I mean, these are what the medical experts are are telling us. This is their best advice. This is not, you know, my opinion or Dave's opinion. Um, it's just what we feel is best for our families. Yeah, I didn't feel we could make, that it would be worth it to take the trip and then have to do all those other things. And and uh, and the thought experiment I go through is okay. So what if I do everything right and uh, one of us gets infected years from now do i look back and say that that was worth it or do i say what a what a knucklehead you should have waited four months or five months until the vaccine was available and then you could have done it safely so i guess see aaron really what i wanted to do was i I got the news that our our granddaughter in west virginia knows 21 letters of the alphabet Mm -hmm. and i wanted to teach her the final five Mm. (laughs) (laughs) so i guess it's going to have to be via zoom i was going to say you can still do that through facetime right right? that's right Okay, looking ahead at President-elect Biden's coronavirus transition team, do we feel like a new administration is going to get a better handle on on this virus? Well, I hope so. I mean, clearly he's made he's set a marker, right? The first thing he came out with in his speech was uh, please mask up and a very impassioned plea to do it coming from the guy who will soon be uh, president, which which changes things right there. The guy he's chosen for his chief, chief of staff apparently uh, has uh, experience handling this kind of uh, pandemic. So, uh, yeah, I feel good about it. I mean, he ran on it, right? And yeah. and apparently it, it played a big role in getting him elected. So, yeah, I expect him to deliver. be back with you next thursday to discuss the latest coronavirus news and don't forget you can subscribe to this podcast you can also find our news coverage at mynorthwest.com or listen live on 97.3 fm